Hello, everybody, and thanks so much for tuning in this week to the Bible Breakdown. Spoiler alert, I'm excited to go through the passage with you today. So today we are going to be in Colossians 2, and we're also going to be in chapter 3, so you can turn there. Um, That's what we're going to be talking about today. Today is a watershed moment for the Bible Breakdown, and I'll tell you why. I recently, back in January, researched... What are some like normal podcast statistics? And one that I thought was particularly intriguing and a good goal was that uh, more than 50% of podcasts have 14 episodes or less. Well, you may know where this is headed. Today is the 15th episode of the Bible Breakdown. So we are officially in the top half of podcasts in, in terms of number of episodes. So uh, it's gone by so fast for me. Um, I've enjoyed it a lot, and it's a ton of fun, Uh, but yes, thought I would just share that we are now, if you are listening, you are listening to a top 50% podcast in terms of number of episodes. Um, Let's go ahead and say it's narrowed to that, because other than that, probably not top 50% anything else, except for fun. A lot of fun, too. Okay, so we're going to be in Colossians 2, and we're going to talk about kind of two major things. Um... And the first is going to be, Paul's going to be talking to uh, the Colossians about following the wisdom of man or human tradition, um, or in the, specifically in his case, kind of a false religion promoted by false teachers. And so we're going to talk about kind of what does human wisdom mean? What does it look like? What does it lead to? Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this um, idea that Paul's going to develop in chapter three of the old self and the new self and what that means for us. And then uh, out of that, we're going to talk about um, what it looks like for us to live in our identity of Christ. So you might, maybe that's three things. The second two are kind of connected, but that's kind of where we're going today. So we're going to be in Colossians 2, starting there. I'm going to start in verse 6 and read through verse 10, then skip over to 16 through 19, and we'll get started from there. So verse 6 says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. And then skipping down to verse 16, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you, in question of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So, Um, The situation uh, for the Colossians, um, their city Colossae, was um, a formerly kind of important city, though by Paul's time it had kind of declined. Um, But what they're dealing with um, is not 100% certain, obviously, the farther we go back in history, knowing that this, again, was almost 2,000 years ago. um, It's kind of hard for us to totally reconstruct it, but just based on what we have from this passage, the the best that we can figure and, and what I've read 
Um, Dr. Moo, Douglas Moo has been helpful again, like he was in James. Um, again, great name, great scholar, uh, very helpful. Um, he and a lot of other uh, scholars believe the most likely kind of false teaching that they're dealing with here in Colossae is with uh, some sort of syncretism. So a combination of two things, a syncing up of, of two kind of thought, schools of thought, a syncretism of Judaism and probably some sort of naturalistic or um, other sort of spirituality. So it's kind of maybe a combination of those two that they may be dealing with. So both of those have their their threats to Christianity. Um, you probably notice he mentions festivals and Sabbath, which are distinctively Jewish. Um, and so when someone's holding to the Sabbath as if Christ hasn't come, that's a problem. And then anytime that we're talking about uh, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world, asceticism, which is can be... Um, related to um, self-harm or um, really just kind of depriving yourself deprivation of some sort of form for uh, under the guise of holiness. So both of those things have threats to who Christ is. So, but at the base of it, um, what the Colossians are dealing with is they are having trouble distinguishing between um, the wisdom of man and following Jesus, between what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow these false teachers and their false religion. So that's at the base of what they're uh, they're dealing with. And the reality that we have to grapple with and the reason we have to re recognize that this is serious when we talk about human tradition or the wisdom of man is that um, the wisdom of man, um, the human traditions, really they don't lead us into a relationship with Jesus. They don't lead us to be better followers of Jesus. Human traditions and the wisdom of man leads us to pride. That's the end result. So um, I'll give you one example relevant. Um, March Madness, for some of you who may be interested, um, let's say you were at the top of your bracket. You had so far picked the, the most teams, which is a, a great accomplishment. But let's say that you think that just because you've picked all the right games so far that you're destined to pick all the right ones until the end. Well, we know odds-wise... That's not a sure thing. Um, we know that it's called March Madness for a reason. There's a lot of surprises and things like that. So we could say that it would be premature to crown ourselves champions of March Madness at this stage when there's still 16 teams as opposed to waiting until the end. So um, that wisdom of man leads to this pride, which may not be well-founded. Um, and Paul, as we kind of talked about last week with Saul's conversion, so you can go back and check that out uh, in more detail if you're interested, but um, Paul gives us this whole diatribe in um, Philippians about how he was the Hebrew of Hebrews, he describes himself. And the reason he's able to describe himself that way, um, and he even says that he was without fault in, in uh, comparison to the laws, but he's, re he's recognizing his place in these human traditions and these human laws that were set up by um, people within Judaism, um, like the Pharisees. So Paul is basically saying in Philippians, he had reason to boast because of his birth and because he was really good at following these man-made traditions, these man-made rules. Because of course, anyone who encounters the law of God, the character of God could not legitimately look at the law of God and consider themselves blameless because we all know we have sin. So Paul himself knows firsthand the dangers of, putting your righteousness, putting your religion into the human traditions of man, because that had been his life before he met Jesus. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to tell them, 
human wisdom, human tradition is not going to get you anywhere. He says, just as you received Christ, so walk in him. That's verse six. So he's trying to encourage him toward that. And he's going to talk about that a little more. So um, kind of alluded to this earlier, but some of the human traditions there um, at that time, it was this combination of Jewish law and pagan religion. Um, so we talked about Sabbath a little bit. So Sabbath was a big sticking point um, in Jesus' time. You may remember um, when he is walking with his disciples through some fields and they're picking some heads of grain and the Pharisees um, accuse him of violating the Sabbath because they're eating these heads of grain. And they had set up all these big rules about the Sabbath. Um, that was part of the human tradition around the Sabbath um, because they wanted to protect themselves from getting anywhere close to breaking the law. And so they accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking their laws. And ultimately, Jesus is going to tell them and he's going to tell them, too, as he compares a time that David um, broke a, a law kind of to feed himself. He's going to say the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, meaning Sabbath is to help you. It's not to, you're not Sabbath's master is kind of what Jesus is going to say. And that's going to continue to be an issue as Gentiles join the church and Jewish uh, people who are also believing in Jesus are wondering how does their former Jewish faith, which has led them to Christ, um, how does the people coming from outside of Judaism fit that into that? So Sabbath was a big sticking point. Uh, food and drink. Um, there's lots of, um, there's lots of things in pagan religions about, um, food that is sacred, food that is um, is not, food that is impermissible, things like that. You may remember even in Acts that um, Peter deals with this to an extent. Um, he and some other um, fellow Jews are having trouble knowing what meat they're allowed to eat in case it was sacrificed to idols, because that was a common thing that would happen to meat that was in the marketplaces. So they dealt with this. And so Paul's really kind of saying, hey, let's put aside these things that are, are human wisdom and let's focus on who Christ is. And before we are too tough on them um, and think, come on, what are these guys doing? Why are they so worried about the Sabbath? All these things. Why are they making up rules to make themselves feel holy? We have to also take some time to recognize that we have this in our society now. We have this in our culture now. We have this in our churches now and we have for a long time. So um, just a few examples. Um, one, those of you who come from a Baptist background, you've probably heard some uh, some variation of the phrase that I heard a lot growing up was, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do, or go with guys who do, if you're a girl. Um, that's just kind of a nice little um, truism, is what I would call it. Not It's not like a real rule, but it's a little phrase that we say to say, hey, these are our values. We don't drink, smoke, or chew, and we don't go with the people who do. So that not that I'm advocating any of those things, but there is a tradition in um, especially a Southern Baptist context around drinking and dancing that um, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that these are mostly man-made rules. So in the scripture, we see examples of people drinking. Um, we see that Jesus drinks wine, um, which I do believe had alcohol. I do not believe it was just grape juice. Um, and I don't think that most people outside of people who've kind of tried to use it for their agenda, believe that. Um, so we know what the scripture teaches us about drinking. It's to not use drinking, uh, not to make an idol of it and not to drink to the point of drunkenness. But we had this kind of human tradition was, no, you're wrong if you have a drink of alcohol. And the same with dancing. We know that dancing can lead to uh, promiscuity, inappropriate behavior. If you don't believe me, 
maybe sign up to be a chaperone at a prom this year. Um, but at the end of the day, dancing is something that people use to express joy, um, sometimes sadness. We see that um, there are many figures in the scripture who dance and that dance can be pleasing to the Lord. Um, anybody who has um, a child who's interested in dance does dance on a, for a, a hobby. Um, that can be pleasing to the Lord when we give our effort to use our gifts and our skills um, and to do our best at something. That's pleasing to the Lord. But that's one example of a human tradition that um, may especially affect us in the South, those of us of Baptist persuasion or background. Um, another one I think that we're dealing with a lot now is um, kind of the self-help or um, even like personality test culture. Um, sometimes now I think we have a little bit of trouble differentiating between like what is self-help and what is um, what is the ministry of Jesus? What is what does a personality test tell me about ourselves? But what does Jesus tell me about myself? Um, and I think there's a little bit of a tradition now where we can find ourselves um, in, unintentionally using these tools, which aren't um, in themselves bad, but we can replace scripture with them. Or we can start to view scripture and interpret scripture through the lens of the things we're learning through uh, maybe some sort of self-help or personality test. Um, again, I think those are helpful tools. Um, and But the biggest thing I think we have to remember is we always have to run those through the filter of scripture, not the other way around. But I think there's some traditions now where if you don't know your Myers-Briggs or your Enneagram or your DISC profile, that um, you're not really doing the work that you need to do to be holy before Christ. And that, of course, is, uh, is not true. Um, I think we also see human tradition come through in our politics. Um, I feel like this is a theme that comes up regularly. I think it's just a regular, or it's a common topic in the world. So why not bring it up here, I guess. But uh, this may surprise some of you, but there are people on all sides of a political spectrum. So you could say left, right, center, uh, midfield, whatever you wanna say, but there are people in all of those different camps who would say, I can't believe a person would be could be a Christian and not vote the way I do. And I say that to say there are legitimate Christians on a whole variety of political spectrums who would say that, that would say, I can't believe anybody who's a real Christian doesn't vote the way I do. The reality is that our political system is not uh, in line with the scripture system. We don't have a politician or a way of governance that exists that lines up with scripture. We've talked about it in some other podcasts. There's only one approved government in the scripture, and that is monarchy, and Christ is the king, and there are no other options. There are no votes. Um, there is only allegiance, and the best part about it is that he's a monarch, but he's a good king, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and to follow him is to find true freedom, but we, we can't let our, uh, our politics, our very, very, very human politics, um, we can't try to align them with scripture directly um, in a lump way. You know, um, there are obviously political beliefs I think line up with scripture. There are some that I believe do not. Um, but at the same time, to put our hope in any one ideology or party, um, we, we find ourselves setting up a human tradition where um, those human parts of it are not never going to line up to what scripture is. So um, that's kind of what we're dealing with. And um, Paul's dealing with, while very different things, really the same idea, the idea that human traditions can get in the way of us truly following Jesus. Uh, in verse 13, he says, And you who were dead in your tre trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So that's what following Jesus is. It's a recognition that I am dead in my trespasses, but through Christ, I've been made alive because Christ, he nailed that he nailed that debt on the cross. He nailed all the wrong things that we've done on the cross and he took the punishment for us. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That is our identity. Our identity is not in our ability to follow rules, um, to protect ourselves with human traditions, just in case we stumble. Um, our The way that we follow Jesus is recognizing our identity and we live out of that. And that's what we're going to talk about here in the next section. So moving into chapter three, um, Paul is going to talk about um, in the ESV, um, the section is titled Put On the New Self. Um, and he's going to be talking about this kind of contrast between an old self and a new self. So I'm going to start in chapter three, verse five. It says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So Paul is saying that he's kind of going front end. He's saying this is where you used to be. And he's saying because of who you are now, because it says in Verse one, if then you have been raised with Christ. So he's saying, if you belong to Christ, these are the things that you need to get rid of. These are from your former life. This is who you used to be. You need to put off these things. And he's going to collect this whole kind of vice list, if you will, into this idea of the old self. So the old self represents who we were before we knew Jesus. And um, as you read over that, I'm sure um, as I do, um, I see um, my old self in those lists. Um, I see the the sins that I have struggled with, some that I continue to struggle with um, and recognize like, yep, that's without Jesus, that's who I am. Like I don't, uh, I may not be every single one of those, but uh, my name's all over that, that list, those things that need to be put to death. Um, and so that's what he's going to characterize as the old self. So this word self, um, you may have heard it um, before as the old man and the new man. Um, so it's this word anthropos, um, which is going to be your root word for things like anthropology, study of man. Um, so this this word anthropos can refer to a, a man specifically, like a male, um, but typically is going to refer to uh, humankind or a human being. Um, the word on air is going to be your more specific for male, with gune being more specific for woman. So anytime this word anthropos comes up, and even in the study of anthropology, it's not the study of males, the study of mankind. Um, so it's basically, he's saying, you have put off the old mankind, the old be human being. Um, and so they've kind of simplified it to old self, which I think is helpful. But that's kind of the word. And it's kind of this all-encompassing word. It's kind of like a, an, an entire being. It's not um, just related to sin. Really, it's a complete identity change that is being that's being proposed here by Paul. So he's talking about this old self, and then that's what defined the old self was those things that um, that he listed. Uh, but the new self is identified by identity in Christ. So verse eleven, um, this is so important. It's a lot like a Galatians in Galatians. Uh, Paul's going to say something similar in verse twenty-eight there, but it says here there is not Greek and Jew 
circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So this is kind of like the hinge of this part of the passage. So he says, this is who you were, this is the old self, but in Christ, those things don't matter. Those things are your old self, and even your old distinctions weren't, weren't in themselves bad. It's not bad to be a Jew. It's not bad to be a Greek. It's not bad to be a barbarian, I guess. If you're not like pillaging and stuff, I guess it's not bad. Um, it's not bad to be a slave. Those things aren't bad, but they don't matter nearly as much as our identity our identity in Christ. So that's kind of the hinge of this passage. Of course, not recognizing also that, you know, being a slave is not great. Being a barbarian is not great. But ultimately, if you find yourself in servitude, that doesn't make you a bad person. If you find yourself in a barbarian tribe, that doesn't make you a bad person just based on your um, on your status there. But rather, it's the identity that comes in Christ is even greater than those, even greater than where you came from, even greater than your status in society. That's who Christ is. So um, verse 12, he's going to go on. So now we're going to get the other end of the argument. We're going to get what is the new self? What is the new self act like? So starting in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one of you has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's the other side of that hinge. He's got the old self. He's got this hinge of it doesn't matter where you came from. Christ is your most important identifier. And now it's, okay, here's how I'm asking you to walk. And we have to be really clear here because I think this is where the, um, the heart of the issue lies for us as we think about this. It's an identity issue. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. He didn't say, hey, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, all those things, and become God's chosen ones, become holy, become beloved. He's giving us up front, this is your identity. You have been chosen by God. You have been holy. You are set apart. That's kind of the meaning we put with that word. God has set us apart. We're different. We represent him. We don't represent ourselves. We're separate from the world. Um, We're beloved. Those things are our identity. Those are not things that are earned. Those are based on the work of Christ. And so we have to understand that there are human traditions that may line up with a morality that comes from believing in Jesus, but it's about the starting point. Am I trying to prove to myself, to anyone else that I'm righteous? Or am I trying out of an identity that exists in Christ because I am grateful for what Christ has done in me, and I want to reflect his character to other people, what's the motivation for our righteousness? What's the motivation for our good works? What is the tradition uh, or the rules that we're following? It's not so much about following rules when we're in Christ as much as living in the identity he's given us, because that's true freedom. We talked about it in another podcast when before we know Christ, we don't have freedom because we only have the ability to choose uh, evil. We, We don't have the good in us, we may do good actions, but ultimately there's no such thing as a 
uh, a completely good action apart from Christ because he's the one who brings that goodness. So we have this ability with this identity in Christ to live in a way that is in line with God's character. And that's what Paul is exhorting us toward. So not in order to gain our status, not in order to prove to anyone, even to God, that we're worth it. He's already decided we're worth it. He's already chosen us. He's already sent Jesus. Jesus' work on the cross is already completed. So our identity leads to our action. Our action does not earn us our identity. So as opposed to human traditions, our confidence and our pride is in Christ. Paul's confidence and pride used to be in his ability to keep the laws of the Pharisees. They had over 600 of them. And he said, no one could look at my life and say that I had done something wrong as opposed to that law. Nobody could reasonably look at me and say, yeah, that guy was doing the wrong thing. That was what his confidence and his pride was. But then he met Jesus. And now his life transformed into having confidence and pride in who Christ is. And that's got to be our life too. That's got to be the way that we operate, not a confidence um, and a pride based in our ability to abstain from whatever drinking or dancing is in your mind. We've all got something that um, we put maybe in that place. Of, as long as I don't do that, I'm good. Um, if we don't put our identity in what our personality test says about us or what our self-help book says we need to do to conquer today or whatever else, um, as long as we don't put our identity, our confidence, our pride in how we vote or our political ideals and think that that makes us righteous before the Lord, we've got to put our confidence and pride in Christ because he's the only one who can stand up to any scrutiny when that pride or that confidence is tested. He stands up every time because of who he is. And so when we go, when we act righteously, when we have a desire to do things that we recognize as righteous, when the spirit is working in us, the way we live is our result of our identity, not the cause. And when we have it backwards, we find ourselves in legalism or moralism, thinking that if I can follow a lot of rules or I can do a lot of good things, then that makes me worth it. The reason you're worth it is because God has made you worth it. He has decided you're worth it. He has decided you were worth the sacrifice of Jesus. And so when we look at that, when we consider who we are in comparison to a perfect God and what a perfect God did on our behalf, it's a time for us to respond in gratitude and obedience, not out of obligation, but out of joy, because we have the ability to please God because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And we see through the scriptures and the spirit awakens in us through the scriptures ways that we can be obedient to God. And hopefully what happens is that when people see us, they don't see just our good works, but they're able to see our identity is in Christ. And hopefully that leads them to a place where they want to know who Christ is and how they can have that same identity. So as we, as we teach this lesson this week, as we walk through this and just in our own hearts kind of go over this, I, I hope that um, for me, I hope for you that we can identify those ways, those false idols, those false ideas, those human teachings that um, we have in our hearts and in our minds. I hope we can identify those and that we can say, no, that's not, uh, even if I did violate whatever that is, um, even if I did hold that perfectly, either way, it doesn't matter because the person of Christ is so much better. So I wish you the, the best as as you teach this, as you as you ponder on this and ultimately the goal of us living for God's glory instead of our own.